how many times do you see side stage kids sitting in the splits talking to each other and the teacher goes okay everyone warm up we're going side stage soon and they all sit in the splits yeah if you sit in the center splits for over 30 seconds before you go on stage well your inner thighs aren't going to work very no. well so how are you going to do that fancy move that we all love at the moment where you go into your middle splits and then you snap back up again you need really good adductor strength to snap back up mm-hmm. from that but you've just turned that muscle off so that's when you know you hear the kids come to you and say it happened when i was on stage and often it's not what they were doing on stage it was a problem it's what they did before they it went was the on preparation stage. so the static stretching isn't great but there is some warrant to stretching after exercise when you're really really warm yes. so a lot of the time i try to tell the kids if they are going to do some of those more static stretches do them before you leave the studio do them when you're still warm mm-hmm. at the end of class if there's a spare spot to do it you should never walk into class and sit in the split straight away hello and welcome to the podcast for ballerinas adult ballerinas parents of ballerinas and everyone in between i'm your host georgia canning also known as the balanced ballerina and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. ballerinas. By the time this episode drops, I would have been in Melbourne interviewing and meeting some cool new guests for the podcast. So keep an eye out for those over the next few weeks. And today's guest is super cool too. Sarah Kiley is a physiotherapist, a Pilates instructor, dance teacher, and qualified dry needling practitioner. Sarah completed both her Bachelor of Exercise Science and a Master's of Physiotherapy at Griffith University on the Gold Coast, which is actually why we run in the same circles without realizing it. However, as most connections these days, I came across her incredible work and passion for helping dancers on the gram. After many years of dance training, competing, performing professionally and continuing to teach dance herself, Sarah is super passionate about the treatment and management of developing young dancers, cheerleaders and gymnasts. So basically anyone whose bodies are subjected to extreme flexibility, strength, fitness and endurance, all those good things. Sarah wishes to combine her personal experience and her physiotherapy knowledge to help these young people through the demands of their athletic training. She uses manual therapy, Pilates, injury management, strength and conditioning, pre-point assessments, safe flexibility programs, and helps dancers develop technique goals to achieve their results. And Because of all of this, it's why I thought Sarah would be a perfect guest on the podcast because as you'll hear, she's extremely passionate about her work and could talk for days on the subject. She was so easy to interview and I feel like we could have talked for hours. We sort of centered around an important theme and topic, the theme of building your team 
as we begin to start strategically looking at ourselves on a more holistic level, especially as dancers, it's becoming increasingly important to build an amazing supportive team around you. So you'll find that that's a bit of a common theme within Sarah's and my chat. I'm sure you'll enjoy uh, my conversation with Sarah as much as I did. As always, come join us in the Private Balance Ballerinas group page on Facebook if you want to discuss any of the topics. I'm sure if you have a burning question, other balance ballerinas will too. And I'll even see if Sarah can jump on and answer them. That's a really good idea, actually. I just came up with that then. (laughs) Now, sit back or drive safe, depending on where and when you're listening, and enjoy my chat with Sarah. Can you share your own dance story first for all our listeners? Sure. Um, so I grew up as a dancer, same story as a lot of people, started at three and yeah, went too. the whole way through <laughs> um, all the way um, until I did a teacher's tap certificate um, as part of my CSTD exams when I was 17 um, and from then on was teaching um, and doing a little bit of professional work here and there on the Gold Coast. Um, but I was quite academic at school, so I decided instead of pursuing more of an overseas, overseas uh, career as a dancer I went straight to uni so I did a lot of teaching and just local gigs and performances Mm -hmm. Um, and yes I did all styles tap jazz ballet the whole lot cabaret musical theater what was your favorite I was always a tapper. Yeah. Um, my studio growing up, Coastal Dance, um, run by Kay Horsey. So her and her boys are all um, mad tappers, tap dogs, the whole lot. So it was definitely instilled in us quite a lot. Um, and yes, I was a very mad tapper. I loved it. So There um, you go. One of my best friends <laughs> is now the owner of Coastal. Yes, Kate. Yeah, yep. Kate. So there she took over when I was about 18 and I just started uni. So oh, wow. um, yeah, that's when I kind of went into crazy uni mode a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, um, one of my favorites. And so I taught a lot of tap since then, um, all the way through uni. So it was great. Cause it was kind of like my outlet, um, yeah. wasn't a job. It was, you know, what I love doing. And, um, so I went and did a bachelor of exercise science and a mm-hmm. master's of physiotherapy. Um, and meanwhile did as much as I could in the dance world and always knew I wanted to work with dancers after that. Um, so that's where I ended up now. Yeah, that's so. awesome. And so, how many years were you at uni um, to be a five altogether? Yeah, with the undergrad and the postgrad put together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what Griffith did at the time. Now they've got uh, a four-year bachelor's of physiotherapy, as opposed to the five. So I know a couple of ex-dancers who are now in that um, group. So hopefully, a few more of us entering yeah. the physio world soon. Yeah. yeah, I have a few students who who've expressed an interest in in becoming a, a dance physiotherapist because mm. I'm always talking to them about different ways if they want dance in their life you know as an adult how they can incorporate that into a job and that it doesn't necessarily have to look like being a dancer yeah and I remember one of the mums told me that her little girl who's 10 was like blown away when I told her that Queensland Ballet have their own dance physiotherapist and she was like oh my gosh I could do that (laughs) yeah it's one of my favorite things when um, I work with a kid in the clinic and a couple weeks in they'll come back and the mum will say oh she's decided she wants to look more into physio now she's been really inspired just like you Miss Sarah (laughs) and so it's always really nice though because um, I think you forget like you said with your kids you forget as a dancer you know you get so focused on I have to dance I have to dance Um, I have to be a dancer yeah yeah, but, you know, longevity and body-wise, 
that's not always realistic. And mm. and I always say to the kids, you know, you have to be a human once you stop being a dancer. Um, I love that. And so I think it's really important to think of other ways that you can incorporate it yeah. um, and still be able to um, be a part of that world. Because once you've got the dance bug, it's hard to get rid of it. <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's great having the dance background and then being a physiotherapist because mm. dancers, we as dancers, we just know so much about our bodies that I think they make pretty damn good physios so yes I think it definitely really helped like it was really funny though at uni I was um I did see things very differently like the first time in a you know in a lecture class or a laboratory where they said okay now you would assess someone touching their toes and half the room bent forward and couldn't touch their toes and And you're like what's wrong with you yeah I was like isn't that normal (laughs) to be able to touch your toes like it was just this whole foreign world to me I just couldn't believe it it was really funny um so I always got kind of used as the person that could do all the weird things in in the classes I was the example of the things not to do that's so (laughs) Um, funny you're the test dummy yes so um um, yeah, it's it was really great to have that connection to and it does give you a lot of body awareness and, and ability to feel different muscles and understand how it puts into practice. So um, I really liked that about the connection between the two. Yeah, what do, what do you love most about teaching the next generation? Um, I really just like to try and give them all the things like that I didn't know and yeah. to try and educate them more so they understand their bodies a little bit better. Um, like I always say to them, you know, um, it's your body. No one can tell you what to do with your body and you need to understand your body than better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a problem with it, you need to be able to understand that problem and go seek the help you need, not rely on someone else to fix you. Yeah. And so I think that's what I really try and teach in my classes is I rarely just go do an exercise. Mm-hmm. I usually say, this is what we're working. This is why. This is how it relates back to your dance. Yeah this is why you might be struggling with this exercise and I try and get them to really think outside the box a little bit more um so that's what I really love about teaching them so obviously I work in the clinic um I forgot to explain I work in the clinic as a um, physiotherapist with your one-on-ones we also have at the living well studio down in Burley um a large Pilates studio Mm -hmm. um and group physio studio so we do a lot of group classes um which I see a lot of dancers there um to do a lot of conditioning and then I also teach at a few dance studios as well a little bit of tap still (laughs) it's one of those ones I can't get rid of um but also a lot of that strength stretch and technique conditioning type classes so that's where I tend to apply a lot of that um, and try and get the kids to really question what they do and understand why they do it Um, because I think so important the why because if they don't understand why they're doing it Mm. they're also less likely to practice it at home or see the point of doing it that's my biggest my biggest goal with any patient that comes in is I need to prove to them there and then in either the clinic or in the studio I need to prove to them what the result's going to change or what the exercise sorry is going to change and if I can prove it to them then and there they'll do it if I can't prove that it's going to make something better than what they're already doing they're not going to change that so if you say oh your leg will be up near your ear or you'll be able to do splits if you do this exercise well they're going to do it (laughs) yeah or my favorite thing though is telling them that's one thing but proving it to them in front of them so checking that movement that That they that they're trying so they'll go i'm desperate for this split so i'll get them to show me and then i'll go try this 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 do that split again and when the split changes then they go 
oh my gosh, I'm going to do that at home. That felt amazing yeah. and it didn't have to hurt. It wasn't hard and yeah. it happened immediately. So um, I think that's the greatest part about teaching this next generation is trying to give them more longevity and yeah. and more understanding and not just kind of moving through the motions. Because um, I think a lot of people kind of ex-dancers now, we all have our battle stories and our injuries and our tales to tell. And um, I think the profession and the industry has gone a little wild with our... <laughs> with our flexibility and our stretching so I really think these kids need to have more understanding than we ever did because they're putting themselves in a lot more provocative positions and exactly I um I feel like body conditioning is a relatively new space in the dance world Mm. I just don't feel like it was ever touched on when I was growing up and training and especially at a young age like what what do you think about that um I was the same I didn't have much of that either um but I think Similar to what we are saying, you know, the industry's gone a lot further. The standards have gotten higher. Um, we've almost turned into rhythmic gymnasts, which is one another Basically. topic of, discuss, of discussion. Um, but um, the standards have gotten higher and it's more competitive and there's more students doing it and the bar has been risen. So I think when it comes to conditioning, these kids need to realise that, you know, dance involves obviously incredible amounts of flexibility which is past normal human movement as well as incredible strength to get to those positions Mm -hmm. and then at the same time they have to be able to dance for hours and hours and hours non-stop so we've just put flexibility strength and endurance all into one sport and I do call it a sport I don't say it's an art it is an art but I call it a sport yeah look I kind of agree with you I mean more than ever dancers have to be athletes Mm, 100% and you know you think about other sports and not to put down any other sports because I I treat a lot of different ones um, but rarely do you see that combination of all three go into one category except for those amazing female AFL players that can kick so high with their legs have you seen that (laughs) I saw who I don't know I'm very not up with sport but there was this amazing photo of this female AFL player do you know her name I don't know her name but it was on social media everywhere and she was like doing a hitch kick let's say it that way but her leg was Was so high up near her nose so there's a there's an out there example of another sport that might include it but um, I think that's why in this day and age of conditioning and um, we really have to look after all of those aspects um, especially because dancers tend to overtrain one and not train the others. And usually it is the strength and the endurance that get undertrained and the flexibility that gets overtrained. So that's why it's getting more and more important. Or, or I often find that um, a student that's really flexible doesn't have a lot of strength and mm. vice versa, a student with a lot of strength doesn't have a lot of flexibility. Yep. So, um, But that- you think even back in like when we were dancing, if you had a 180 degree flat mm. grangette, beautiful that was beautifully acceptable but now that's not acceptable anymore these kids you know think that unless it's past 180 degrees it doesn't count um so what do you like like do you like the over split or do you like the 180 degree i don't like to cringe (laughs) so if it looks like they can't hold their body up they're whacking their legs they land really heavy they take off with their knees dropping in they can't even remember to get their arms up, but yeah. it's past 180. To me, that wasn't worth it. Mm. If you see a beautiful, flat, perfectly executed split, their legs aren't rolled in, their knees aren't facing the front, their True. toes are beautifully pointed, their body, their presentation, you know, the fingers. I love beautiful upper body presentation. Yes. If all of those pieces are in the are there, 180 degrees is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, agree. Yeah. So I think that's where the standards have gone up and that's why the conditioning is so important. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
it, it's it's getting back to that whole view now that I feel like as teachers we have to look and work together to create the holistic dancer, getting everything working. Yeah, mind, body, artistic presentation. Literally. There's just so many boxes to cover. A huge amount. And it's funny because once upon a time I think you had a teacher that was one person, and everything was expected from that one person. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see, I feel like in the dance world now, it's much more acceptable to have a team of teachers, if that makes sense. Definitely. I think it's needed. Um, And a lot of my um, clients will have heard this one already, but I often say, you know, when I was young, um, I had my teachers and I didn't learn something new until my teacher told me I was ready to learn it or I needed it for an exam content or I needed it for a solo because choreography wise it worked or that was when I was taught something new and usually it was relevant to my age and my ability Whereas now with our good old friend Instagram and YouTube and YouTube and and Facebook, um, instead of, you know, the teacher going, you're ready to learn this, I'm going to increase this, I'm going to change this. And often, you know, a teacher's intuition as to when a kid is mature, mature enough to learn a new skill and physically capable, you know, that was always part of the equation. But now the kids see, you know, a nine year old in America who can do it with no context behind why she can do it or how hard she works to get it and they walk into class and they say you need to teach me this and this is what I'm going to learn or they don't they learn it themselves at home (laughs) or the parent says I've just come back from the Estedford and they all had um, aerials in their routines and I'd like you to put an aerial in my child's routine and you're just like she's not ready for she can't even do a handstand like (laughs) so it's exactly and so it's kind of gone almost out of the teacher's hands sometimes and that's why we now need more of a team Um, we all need to be approaching it together and really creating a bit more of a healthy environment for the kids because they get really wrapped up in that world and for their bodies you know there's no context behind that photo we see a photo but we don't know anything else about that photo we don't know how many times it took for them to get their leg there or whether they were in pain as they were doing it or whether they have a connective tissue disorder and their leg just goes there because their connective tissue allows it so um i think that's where it's really important now that um you know there needs to be a team Mm. um and a team of professionals that I think includes the parent and so because sometimes it's absolutely not their fault if they've never danced before it's actually I always feel like it's our job to explain in a nurturing and caring way and not in a well it's my way or the highway like it's really important to all sit down and go well this is why little Josie's not going to do an aerial in her routine exactly and I think too um because a lot of the time if the the teachers I find are scared that if they don't give that child and that parent what they want they're going to lose them and so I think it is about that discussion and being able to really give good clear reasons and if you can't or you're worried that the information you're not giving is sufficient enough then referring to someone in another with another type of authority to almost give that same piece of advice sometimes really helps the parent and the child to understand it um, better um, and and see why it's really important for them to do it when the time's right for them not just because you know x y and z did it at another competition yeah it's about it's about just education it's always down to education isn't it yeah and so it's it's the team is really important for sure i um it's why i take pre-point assessments out of my hands yes (laughs) not that i would not that i would conduct a pre-point assessment uh an official one um when you know i've got a a whole class now ready to go up on point and i'm sending them off to pre-point assessments and 
some of the parents like, oh, why do they need to do that? And, and it's because someone like yourself will pick up actually on things that I won't pick up on. I've had students where I thought they would be completely fine on point. And, you know, I look at students on point all the time and, and I thought she'll be fine. And nope, not at all. She's yeah. really struggling. And so I think it's really important to get that second opinion and also take it out of your hands. And it's not your decision. It's, it's the professional's decision. And yeah. And um, I like to let that go. Yeah. I like to hand it off to the professionals. Well, that's what I say to the parents too. I say, you know, it's not they're going, but why are we not seeing this till now? I said, it's not your teacher's fault. They've got 20 children in the room mm-hmm. and they can't see your feet. You're wearing ballet shoes. And, and, and I also tell them, you know, us as dancers, we're amazing cheaters. We know how to make things work that may not be working properly. Mm-hmm. And we're really good at covering it up until the body doesn't want to cover it up anymore. Um, or you put on a pair of pointers and you can't and you cover can't it do up it. anymore. Exactly. And so, you know, that's why I think they're really important. Um, I always tell them about, you know, um, I work for at the Living Well Studio Indiana. She's the owner. She's one of another dance physiotherapist yeah. as well. Um, she had a great point experience and she did a lot of ballet training. Um, whereas I come from the perspective of um, I actually had a really tricky point experience. And so I really am passionate about kids being super understanding of what they're about to do um, and realizing that it's not just a, um, a privilege to get handed, you know, you just, you turn 12 and you give get, a pair of point shoes that they actually have to really earn them and understand yeah. what they're about to put their body through. And I always tell them they can also be taken away. 100%. So if you know you're not doing the homework at home, if you're doing anything in your point shoes that I've gone, please don't do that. Boom off yeah exactly <laughs> you don't get them back exactly and until I feel like you're ready for them exactly and there's so much that can be covered up inside of those point shoes and there's so many things that can go wrong on point too um like I said my experience wasn't super what flash. was yours um I I um from what I remember the main part being that I started point as a size six shoe that's tiny yeah, and a year, and as in like I was a size six foot. I was yeah. really small. I yeah, grew got tiny very feet. late. I was not this tall. No, <laughs> I was you're, very you're tiny. Tall now. You ask all my teachers and they're like, we don't know what happened. <laughs> it was like 16, 17, I finally grew. I was wow. very behind. But, a little um, late bloomer, yeah. Sarah. <laughs> well, I was a size six shoe and I started. And a year and a half later, I was in the same point shoes and I was a size eight foot. Oh my gosh, a year. Yeah, a year and a half later. So I had a big growth spurt, but you know... Uh, especially back then and you even more with your ballet background points hard points meant to hurt you know suck it up toughen up you'll be okay push through and I did I was a tough kid I I didn't complain very often and it wasn't until at about 18 months later the owner of my studio walked into my ballet class one time and saw tears coming from my eyes but I refused to come down and she pulled me out of class and that's when we realized I ended up with um, quite a serious Achilles issue um, an Achilles tendinopathy Um, it took a, a good three months to settle back down so I basically went to class and didn't point my foot for three months because of the pain Mm. um and I yeah have I show all the kids my toes now because of it very funny looking toes and um so I just you know I think point should be an enjoyable experience it shouldn't be you know traumatic um it shouldn't be upsetting it's it's hard it shouldn't be painful yeah and I mean it is a bit difficult too to sometimes navigate as a teacher because I feel like a child will say, I'm in pain, when really they're not in pain. They're actually yes. just a little bit uncomfortable. Yes. And point shoes are a little bit uncomfortable. 100%. So I always tell them that 
their homework sometimes is literally just to put your point shoes on and walk around the house. Yeah. Not even go up on point. Just walk around in the house to get used to that kind of feeling of, because, you know, your foot kind of wobbles a little bit yeah. and, and it doesn't feel as as comfortable as a slipper. Like yeah. I feel like everyone expects them to feel like a canvas ballet flat, yeah. which they're not going to. And so it's hard to sometimes kind of distinguish, are you actually in pain mm. or are you just being a bit of a wuss <laughs> yes 100 percent. yes how do you determine that with the, I, with the well, students i talk to them about and this is why i really love the pre-point assessments is because they do tend to say to their teachers that things are hurting and ouch and you know this is rubbing and that's hurting but if they've done a pre-point assessment already and they've already made contact with a physio or a healthcare professional an osteo whoever else is doing them um that does the pre-point assessment and that knows their foot and they know mm. their body and they've had that first contact made then if something really is worrying them they can go back to that person and say is this something that I need like you know is it my technique is it something more serious and I always talk to them about that you know don't if it's something that you feel is really getting in the way of you doing your work in class come back let's chat about it Mm. Um, if it's a blister well hold on a sec it may be that you're rubbing in your shoe but is it that you're not keeping are you crunching your toes inside your shoe does that mean we need to back you off for a little bit work on your exercises a bit more and then reintroduce it again Um, because I think it's really undervalued how much those home programs really help these kids get that understanding before they put the shoes on Um, so that's why I love the pre-point assessments is it gives them another person to talk to it about because the teacher's got to deal with 20 sometimes 20 people in a class and you know if every um, every girl in the class comes and says my foot hurts well (laughs) it's really tricky to deal with that so that's why I, I say to the parent and the kid if it's something more than you know that something that's really getting in your way come back and let's talk about it um and that often takes it out of the teacher's hands as well exactly um speaking of uh just education and pre-point assessments and whatnot and i was going to ask you where you draw your inspiration from in the dance physio therapy world <laughs> lots of places um, i think especially in physiotherapy and um, what's been amazing is the clinic i'm working in at the moment yeah. um, is um, very evidence-based and really on top of what's new what do we need to know and how do we need to know there's it there's just so much information so much. and physio so is constantly changing you know yeah. you can't just do the same old protocol every person um we're getting so much more information about pain science just on its own and it's um evolution from the brain um we're learning about fascia more and more which yep. you would have learned with lisa um and yes, just we've both these, done the same yes, the same course I did lisa, lisa house so she's one of my inspirations yeah. i love lisa house content i love what she does um she's great i love everything about her course and i'm on her online portal and um all of those things i just think the the stuff she produces for dancers and teachers and I love that she trains teachers I think that's a really great uh, area to address because a lot of the kids really look up to their teachers and Mm. they really they see them as a big role model in their life and also sometimes you do have a student that actually they come from a family where they're just struggling to buy the point shoes they can't afford to have the extra treatments and so it's nice as a teacher if you can have a little bag of tricks to be able to fix small issues yes I mean not saying that I rather big issues and I would much rather 100% children go and see yes. their physio or their osteo or whoever the professional is but it's nice to have a little bag of tricks and yes. some further understanding because as a dance studio owner myself I know that my strength is um, you know classwork and syllabus and ballet and running a business and yeah sometimes there's just not enough room to read up on the latest the latest dance physiotherapy 
100%. techniques coming out of Germany. Like I just don't yeah, have It's time. crazy. And so, yeah, that's why. Um, so I love Lisa's work. Yeah. She's really, um, she's kind of helped uh, structure where I've taken a lot of my treatments and things like that and what I've looked for in how I treat and how I look at things differently. So I really love that. Um, and, and, you know, my boss and a couple of the physios at work who are um, titled sports physios and musculoskeletal physios now they are just incredible to bounce off and get ideas from and they really keep you going keep your brain thinking and challenge you to think a bit more outside the box and and really not um just do what you're doing and stay stale and get stale um so that's that's really motivating for me to see them being like that because that makes me want to be like that and drives me a lot more um i did a recent course with alison grimaldi she's a physiotherapist um and a researcher and she does a lot of work with the hip joint um so she's got some really amazing stuff that i've just learned so it's fresh in my head um and sue may she's the head physio at the australian ballet so she's done some really interesting research and stuff with them as well so in the dance world, there's some really great people. Um, but, you know, there's people all over the place. I'm a member of, for any dancers or teachers or people listening that, you know, want to be able to read more about these topics. Um, I think Lisa's got some great stuff on her website. Yeah. Um, but also there is a, um, the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science, a big, long, fancy word, or IADMS or AIDMS. I um, think I, I, do, I do get their updates. Yeah. But what I'll do is I'll pop um, a link in the show notes for yeah. everyone to sign up do they they have an e-newsletter don't they they? have a newsletter and things like that you can join up to be a member and i'm pretty sure if you're a student or like a um like a physiotherapy student or a studio owner they have different membership options based on who you are and what your interest is in them to tailor what kind of information they send out to you but they just they are really great because they are a community an international community of researchers and um scientists and dance scientists and um that are leading the way and really trying to make the profession and the industry better. So a great little place to check out some more info. But if you're feeling a little bit, it's getting a bit sciencey, it's getting over your head. I think you know that um, some of Lisa's stuff is really great as well for for the kids and the and the starting out adult ballerinas who just yes. want to get a better understanding of things like that. I think her resources are fantastic as well. Yeah, they are great. You know what? I just keep like the word education just keeps popping up in my <laughs> head throughout this conversation. We just don't stop learning, do we? No, it's never. It's just we do not stop learning, and it's. It's like when it, when a student sort of looks at me and goes, oh, and, and isn't willing to learn anymore, you sort of have to remind them, you're like, even Miss Georgia is still learning. Yeah. Like, I'm constantly still learning and yeah. constantly updating. And, and I think as a parent, sometimes it's really tricky to find sometimes a teacher or a physio, dance physio, oh, I can't even speak, dance <laughs> physiotherapist. <laughs> it's too early in the morning. It is. <laughs> um, that they can trust. And I think what to look out for is – because we were talking about our team before. Yeah, so the 100%. team that you surround your dancer with. And I think if you surround your dancer with a team of professionals that you can see are continually updating themselves and their techniques and their teachings, I think you're okay. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference because uh, it, it's really interesting in that um, I say to the kids, um, you know, it's not that you know, your teachers or whatever is, is wrong when, say, I'm addressing maybe a poor stretching technique or something like that. But it's like your iPhone, mm. you know. You've got to do a, 
software update pops up. How many times do we get that software update oh God, come up on so our annoying. iPhone? It's so annoying. And I, I'm one of those people that ignore it. But, yep. um, <laughs> and then my phone caves and everyone laughs at me and I'm like, but we're updating ourselves. Updates. So it's okay. Yes, That's why exactly. we don't have time to update our phones. <laughs> well, I tell them that, you know, it's like your software update on your phone. You can avoid doing it. And it's still going to work. You can still make calls. You can still access Instagram. It's totally fine. But maybe if you did update it, you might get a few cool little added features. It might run a bit faster. Or make life a little make easier. Make life a little easier. You might get a new app come up, whatever. Um, and so it's like that when we're learning. It's not that what we're doing is wrong or that it won't work. It's that if you try and find something new, you do that little software update and you might get some bonus features. So, I like that analogy. Yeah. I'm all for analogies one. if you some of my students <laughs> I feel like the strangest ones <laughs> I feel like all dance teachers are fabulous at analogies yeah so um that's just what I try and get the kids to do is I just go look it's I don't think what you're doing is necessarily not going to get you there but there could be a better way or a faster way or a yep. safer way to do it so you've got to think outside the box and I think in a world in a dance world that's moving so fast like it is at the moment teachers and physios and everyone working with the dancers parents even the kids themselves we really have to stay up to date make sure that we're doing the right things yeah mm. so look out for teachers and professionals that just are continually learning and open to education I reckon. yeah and if they don't know they're happy to admit that they don't know and that they'll go oh, find yeah. out I if think I that's a really oh, if I don't know I'd much rather say I actually don't know I'll get back to you on that one yeah and it's really hard to sometimes say that mm. um but you know sometimes I do have to say that to people you know this is really interesting and dancers always are because they never yeah. have you know your normal standard body let me go have a little bit more of a look and, and I'll come back to you with some answers so I think that's another great quality to look out for in um, anyone working in a dancer's team is someone that's you know willing to say I'm not 100% sure but I will find out for you so um another great thing to look out for that's good advice speaking of safe safe dance practices yes. can we touch on safe stretching safe stretching please tell me what my students uh, can do what they can't do no let's break this down <laughs> okay first question student who can't do the splits what can we do to safely guide them into improving let's just go with our right or left leg splits something really simple which is a goal of so many people <laughs> yeah it is a major goal and funny enough after doing that hip course recently um our hips are so different mm. so not every person in the world is going to be made unfortunately to get into those positions and there was some research I did a course with Sue Mays where she actually has you know imaging MRI and x-ray imaging of the hips in a center split position and some hips are almost subluxing out of the joint which is quite scary but at the same time there are many structures around it to support it if they're strong um, but some hips unfortunately aren't made to go there so so for some people that aren't sure what subluxing means oh subluxing that um dislocating would be a more common word yeah. but it's not dislocating so dislocating yeah. is if, if you popped your shoulder out and it stayed out yeah. um that is a dislocation of subluxing is when it's kind of popping out of the joint a little bit but it goes back in gotcha yeah so I it hasn't i have a sublux popped. rib that pops out <laughs> yeah, every now and pops then. in and out every now and then you know some of those kids that can do those fancy double jointed tricks yeah. with different joints um so but the hip is not is a big solid joint that's meant to stay very strong so um there is evidence that we've seen that shows that in some of those center split positions certain hip types um there are lots of big fancy words and lots of different variations so i won't go too deep there but some certain hip types aren't safe or strong in those positions so firstly that's hard for a teacher to identify but yeah. that's why i say to the kids if you're trying to achieve the splits don't sit in the splits yes it's painful it's not fun and your body's probably telling you to stop. And I usually say to them, you know, 
Um, if you come out of that stretch and you feel horrible or you feel worse, it probably wasn't the stretch for you. So for example, I would get them to use a splits and assessment, jump down, see how it feels. What parts of your body are telling you that they need a little bit of help? What parts are telling you they don't like it, but not necessarily what's painful. Cause I think if we're dancers love to look for pain and a lot of the time though, how many kids do you see that will tell you they're flat in the splits, but their back hip is so twisted out mm. of place, right? So look for technique wise, what isn't in the right place? What's not quite getting to where it needs to be? Because a lot of the time um, they're really twisting everything and contortioning everything just to try their best. And that's yeah. what I admire. Dancers try so hard. Um, but sometimes you have to pull them back and say, hold on, let's not try that hard. Let's see if we can go around this a little bit and come back to it and I think that's a really big thing that I stress when it comes to training stretching is not necessarily just pushing for what you want Um, so how do we go around it (laughs) jump into your splits see how it feels a lot of the kids it's very different um sometimes it's the hamstring sometimes it's the back hip sometimes it's their neuromobility sometimes it's their posture um so i get them explain can you explain neuromobility neuromobility so you've got a lot of nerves obviously that come down through the spine and down into your body and all the way to the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes um and so i talk about them like a big long piece of floss like yeah and the kids always laugh and do the flossing move yeah um but it's like you're flossing them so they're meant to slide and glide through the muscle systems and through the fascia um and past the joints and they're meant to move freely they're not they don't like being held on stretches for long periods of time how there's a lot of times where a kid will take their leg up into a hamstring stretch like lying on their back with their leg up and they'll tell you it's in their calf Mm. that's not your hamstring muscle that you feel in your calf. That's usually a neural or a neural sensation, so a nerve. Um, So we look for little things like that too. Um, Lisa explained it really well in that course, how if a child uses their finger to pinpoint pain, is that correct? It's yeah. the, more of a nerve pain, but if they use the palm of their hand, it's, mm. what was that? Often they'll go, if they're wiping their hand with their leg in a big broad area, that's usually fascial. They'll tell yeah. you that it, it's that kind of global feeling of that whole area feeling a bit rigid. Um, if they're drawing a, a line with their fingertip, the tip of their finger, yeah. that's often more neural. Like with that kind of clues into you that, oh, that's the path of a nerve. Hold on. Is there something there that's uh, kind of gripping onto that nerve and not allowing? it to slide past that area better um often then if it's if it's more muscular they'll they'll be grabbing at one spot they're just like yeah that spot and it's right in the middle of a muscle belly and it's right there and it's that one you know they won't tend to give you more broader issues if it's a muscle so um that's a really nice way to clue in as to what might be causing it um and then i get them to get out of that split and go we then search um and it's very individualized that's why it's a really hard answer to give you because then we search for okay well based on what we felt there what kind of options can we come up with to improve that and we go back and retest the split and see if it changed. So if it's fascia, I work through some mobilizers of, of the um, of the hamstring. Um, very rarely do I put them in a st- hamstring stretch. Um, if it's neural, we look at those sliders and gliders. Um, again, that's another fancy word for, um, but just ways that we can make that nerve move better through the whole system as opposed to just pulling on it and tugging on it it's like ends up being like a tug of war you've Mm. got it sitting at one end in the spine and it's down in the foot 
And if something's clamping on it in the middle, then both ends are tugging, but they're not getting very far. Whereas if you can get that to slide better, well, then we get a lot more mobility that way as well. Um, And then I often um, look at the other side. So I'm very diligent on that back leg being square. I don't like twisted splits and the kids don't like it when I pull them out of their twisted one and show them where their real split is. Um, But I think it's really important because the hips are, you know, for life and they're a very important joint in the body. And I think they have to be really careful about how they're stretching them. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Um, I had a particular teacher who will not be named that (laughs) we would be put into positions and put weights on us. And there are quite a few students from my group that Mm -hmm. went through that particular teacher who are now looking at hip replacements at the age of 25, 27. And I think that's where we need to learn from that. Yes. And not keep doing it. Um, I don't do partner stretching. I am a firm believer against it. If your body is telling you not to go there and you need someone to stand on you to try and get it there, mm. no, it's not the answer. I, I, cause it's funny, students really love working in partners. Yep. And what I do is I actually use a lot of the progressing ballet techniques, yeah, um, exercise. It? They're so good. But what I do is the students look at the other the, their partner's alignment and yep. they check that they're doing the exercise correctly but they're not necessarily touching them yep. and I find that that's a good way of doing partner work because they're also learning they're mm. going oh and they tell each other if they're crooked or if they're yep. or if their spine's not aligned and and so then they're more likely when they get down into the position to mm. make sure that they're straight too but yep. yeah definitely not oh, actually I forgot about that that was I've, a real big thing growing yeah. up like let's sit in froggies and stand on each other I have seen I still <laughs> see photos of that now and it makes oh. me want to cry um all kids coming in saying yeah yeah my hips really sore and when you're plugging around finding out what they've been doing in class they were sitting in froggy with someone standing on their knees now as someone who my center splits are a little bit more restricted for me I was really fine forward and back but center was a little trickier I that sounds horrendous um you see ones of like uh, uh kids in over splits and people pushing them down or mm. um you know kids trying to hold a leg mount and someone pushing their leg right up there and but their full body weight is pushing them you know and that's not natural and i think the body the human body is incredible at telling you uh things Stop. and you have to listen to it and if your body is telling you that something's wrong and it doesn't want to go into that position, I think there's a lot to be said for the student that can respect that and then try and troubleshoot around that and not just keep pushing that way. Um, you know, having people lie on top of you, put weights on your back, um, it's really dangerous. Mm. Um, and what it's actually doing, and this is where I really stress to the kids, is it's not actually stretching the muscle that you're trying to stretch. If you're in a stretch for longer than about a minute, you're no longer stretching the muscle anymore. You're really just stretching the passive structures. So passive meaning they aren't the ones that contribute to your movement. So active is your muscles. They contract and they relax. So they move you through range. Um, Your passive structures are your ligaments, your joints, your capsules, um, all the things that hold the joint together but don't necessarily contribute to moving the joint. They stabilize the joint. And once you've been in that stretch for too long, um, you're now stretching your passive structures, especially if the muscle's telling you it doesn't want to go there it's going to contract and it's going to hold you back. So then what's going to happen is all of that five kilos of load or uh, that person's pushing down on you is going to go to the joint. And if you make that joint more flexible, 
then you have to be twice as strong to be able to control it. So you're actually making your flexibility worse because your muscles are going to tighten up to try and control it and make it feel more stable again. So actually doing those forceful things isn't necessarily making your flexibility better. It's potentially making it worse. worse. Yeah. In a lot of people because their body goes into protection mode. Their body goes, I now feel really loose and really unstable in the hip. So I'm going to seize up my hamstrings. I'm going to seize up my adductors. If I make them really nice and tight, it's going to give me more stability. And that's what the body's doing. It's incredible like that. Mm. Um, But unfortunately for a dancer, then they go, but now my hamstring's tight. So let me go do more of that. Mm. And they're really just making themselves worse. It's scary. So last question about flexibility. Yes. When is a good time to have a stretch? Because we know we now know that if you stretch for longer than a minute, mm. um, that that muscle is actually pretty useless yep. afterwards. So yep. if you've got no more dancing, you've done your three hours in the afternoon. Yep. Is it a good time to stretch to have a bit of a stretch after class? Or? Yeah. So the point I drive home, which you would have learnt with Lisa as well, is that thirty seconds of a static stretch mm. can prevent a muscle from reaching its full power for about half an hour to an hour. So they've found that in some of the literature, um, and so if how many times do you see side stage kids sitting in the splits talking to each other and the teacher goes okay everyone warm up we're going side stage soon and they all sit in the splits yeah if you sit in the center splits for over 30 seconds before you go on stage well your inner thighs aren't going to work very well so how are you going to do that fancy move that we all love at the moment where you go into your middle splits and then you snap back up again oh you know that one yeah you see it everywhere but You need really good adductor strength to snap back up Mm -hmm. from that, but you've just turned that muscle off. So that's when, you know, you hear the kids come to you and say, it happened when I was on stage. And often it's not what they were doing on stage that was a problem. It's what they did before they went on stage. So the static stretching isn't great, but there is... there is some warrant to stretching after exercise when you're really, really warm. Yes. So a lot of the time I try to tell the kids if they are going to do some of those more static stretches, do them before you leave the studio. Do them when you're still warm at mm. the end of class if there's a spare spot to do it. Um, you should never walk into class and sit in the split straight away. 100%. Um, it should be dynamic. It should be warm-up focused. It should be puffing, getting the blood moving through the body. Um, some really good dynamic range of motion it shouldn't be static um but you can stretch those things after class but to be honest the more and more experience i've had with these kids is that a lot of those static stretches aren't the answer anyway um i did a class recently where we were looking at the hamstrings and i used that idea of using the splits or a hamstring stretch as an assessment as opposed to a stretch um and we did things like we got a ball and we rolled out our neck and then and the muscles in the back of our neck and then we rolled our like glutes we learned how to find our glutes and then we released our calves and then we even did just a deep breathing technique where i put on a bit of piano type music and just got them to try and let their body relax 95 percent of the class their splits or their leg doubled its range of motion just with that so Mm. a lot of the time those static positions potentially aren't the solution anyway um and so i find that yes there is place for it at the end of class but everybody's different so i think it depends on what works for you just because one kid's doing it doesn't mean all of them should so that's what i kind of tell the kids and um you know to to actually sit in a stretch and think about what they're feeling not just do it because they're told to do it i think um as a general rule of thumb that that could apply to everybody because it is very hard this kind of chat because it's very much dependent on each body each individual but i think an overarching let me know if you agree would be breath work and 
massage, even like we're not, I'm not talking about going out and getting a professional massage. Mm. Students just massaging their own feet, their own legs, their yeah. own body, using a foam roller. 100%. I think those things are probably the most beneficial. Great pre-class preparation. Yes. Um, and we did that breathing one on its own and then retested their mobility i had one girl go from being about a ruler's height off the floor in her splits and we did that breathing exercise and she was completely flat and square and they were looking at me like what and it's like it was your brain you know you walk into class and you've been in school all day and you're chatting with your friends and we get all really worked up and And they're excited to now see their dance friends and now we're here and then we walk into class and we've got this almost this anxious energy running through our body and so that's increasing the tone in our muscles and it's increasing our nervous system it's firing quite strong so sometimes it's really hard to let that mobility happen but if they actually set themselves aside for a moment get their body to calm down bring their body back to a relaxed state it's amazing the effects it can have on some kids especially those ones that tend to be those really Mm. excitable ones so um it it is hard i agree because it is very individualized and some of my classes i have 30 kids in a room and you know to be able to communicate some of this stuff is really hard but that's why it's education and um you know getting them to feel um my favorite one was when we talked about back flexibility recently. Um, we, every kid, how many kids tell you they want more flexible backs? Yeah. Like almost every second. And in ballet, it's that arabesque. It's, but I that's also that. because, like we were saying before, gymnastics almost being a huge part of dance at yes. the moment. That, yeah. that they want that flexible back to be able to mm. do these crazy moves. Uh, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a professional dancer do a chin stand or no. a or professional a, dancer. Or a needle. Or, or whatever you call those, it, but yeah, I call the, it a needle. The needles or the scorpions is yeah, another word for yeah. it. Or an inversion, you know, those back bends where they try and get their bottom to touch their head. Yes. Like I've never seen a professional. Cirque du Soleil, sure. Uh, yeah, Australian ballet, no. <laughs> no, and, and especially for ballerinas, no, no, mm. not at all. And But even for dancers that aren't going down that ballet pathway, and I think it's really important for them to remember that too, that in commercial dance that's also not, very common even in professional contemporary dance Mm. I don't think I really ever rarely see those positions get into and um and so back flexibility is one that's always coming up and I asked them to tell me what they do to stretch their back bend or their back flexibility and all of them held a back bend a back or a bridge or a back bend or um some of the kids called it seal pose you know when you lie on your tummy and you press up or any yogis would know it as like more of your cobra type pose and I, and they called it their back stretching. And I said, but are you stretching your back there or are you compressing your back? And they're like, we're stretching it. And I said, but where are the muscles in your back? And when we talk through the anatomy about five minutes later, they actually realize that to stretch your back, you have to go forwards. Yes. <laughs> and it's amazing. I do that push up, push down yep. for their arms. Yes, for their I arms. I actually do that for their arms to get all the class working together and get their arms working. Yep. And then we roll over yeah. and stretch the back out with the arms reaching forward. Yep. And actually, I'm sure now that I've thought about that, they probably think that we're doing it for our backs. Yes. But we're not. Because we're going <laughs> in the direction we want to go, which is great, but it doesn't mean we're stretching. If we know the anatomy of the spine, we're not stretching. And anything anything except for our abdominal muscles which we yes. kind of need our core a little bit more so but that's another topic but we're stretching our stomach and we're activating our arms but we're not stretching our back so i think when it comes to trying to personalize stretching which is what we were talking about there it's getting the kids to understand what they feel in that position and they pretty quickly start to work out hold on a sec that's not going towards that goal that i was looking to achieve 
is there a better way I can do it? And I think that's the best way for a teacher or a student who's looking to increase their flexibility um, in any way and they want to do it safely is try the position you want to achieve and listen to what your body is telling you in that position and see if then you can come up with some ways to make that feel better. And if you're stuck, ask your teacher, ask your physio. But I love a kid that comes in and can go... I'm having trouble with this. This is what I've worked out. I think is it the wrong. This is where I feel stuck. Yeah. How else can I make that better? And um, and I think that's a, a really amazing quality to have as both a student um, and a even a teacher to be able to see it in a different way um, when it comes to flexibility is not just keep pushing. I think go home and just keep sitting in your splits is definitely not always a solution for most kids. So, yeah. um, or adult ballerinas, cause I know that's really hard to get your flexibility a little bit later yeah. in life. Yeah. And, um, and even again, the joints are a bit stiffer as an adult sometimes. So again, safe mobility, safe stretching is really yeah. important. And a lot of people, especially, um, people inquiring about my adult ballet classes mm. will say, I'm just really nervous about starting because I'm just not really flexible. And I kind of, to actually do, especially in adult ballet class, you actually don't have to be super flexible, no. not at all. And a gentle, and it's a really great way to gently introduce some flexibility and gently improve flexibility. And that's what yeah. a lot of people don't realize that you don't actually have to be super duper flexible to start adult ballet classes. No. You actually, uh, through just participating in a ballet class, which doesn't have much stretching in it no. um, as a you know main component, you're gently moving those muscles and getting yeah. a bit more flexible. And if you're not very flexible, then maybe you should come to an adult yeah, ballet class exactly. and you'll get a little bit Well, it's what we more. call eccentric strength. So yeah. we have three different ways um, a muscle can contract. So we have isometric strength, yeah. which is when a muscle is turning on but not moving. Um, so for example, if your bicep and you're holding a box, so your biceps are on but you're not moving anything yet. Um, and then you have concentric, which is when the muscle gets shorter as you contract and then you have eccentric which is when it's getting longer but it's still contracting as it's lengthening out and a lot of ballet centers around eccentric type positions um so slowly developé of like a slow developé of the leg you know we're eccentrically lengthening out that hamstring as we go into that position um you know a plie we're eccentrically lowering down through um through those ranges and a forward bend we're slowly going down you know it's not fast yeah and you're not stopping you're continually moving down and then you get to yeah. the top. And, yeah. and there's actually a lot of science now saying that eccentric strength exercises are as equal to or even better than stretching for improving flexibility. Um, so that's where ballet can really help mm. with that. And that's why I always tell the kids, don't miss ballet class. Off you go, go to ballet. Yes. You know, you can't miss ballet class to come see me either. Yes. <laughs> Find another night of the week um, because it, subtly it's going to help with that as well because that eccentric strength is really undervalued in flexibility um, because people think if they do exercise, as strengthening exercises they'll get tighter but funny enough it gives them more range to access so speaking of strength Mm. I I do want to move on to core strength for a dancer so what are we targeting what are we looking at what are some simple things we can do at home because I I do correct me if I'm totally wrong and off base here but with core strength are there some pretty generic exercises that we can all do to yes there are some really great ones um so firstly knowing how to turn on the right parts of the core is really helpful um i always tell the kids you know when you see those incredible ballerinas and and the adults as well funny enough um you see those incredible ballerinas that it doesn't look like they're trying one bit yeah and yet they're so incredible um but their muscles they don't look like they're holding on they've got those deep core muscles working not those superficial six packs (laughs) no and you don't yeah they don't need to have a six pack they're just so strong 
in on that deep level. So firstly, with activating uh, the core, we're more concerned about a muscle called transversus abdominis. So um, transverse meaning horizontal or sideways. So it goes around the waist um, and abdominis meaning an abdominal muscle, um, but or TA is our nickname for it. Um, It sits the deepest layer of the core um, and it is like a corset. It creates that gentle uh, pulling in through the waist. Um, it helps to stabilize the spine, um, but it doesn't really move you. It's a stability-based muscle. So glad I've been explaining it right. All my yes. students are really familiar with TA, and yep. that's right. pretty much my explanation. Yep. Yes, so it's that big corset tick for me. <laughs> or a belt, or yes. you know, it's one of those ones that gently draw in through the tummy. Mm. Um, it's not gripping on, and a nice way. Look, I I'm quite in depth when I explain it, um, and I'm very hands-on with my explanations. So it's really tricky for me in words, but um, if you're holding your breath while you're engaging your core, likely you're not. Um, you've gone too far. You're starting to use all the other muscles. So above that, we then have the internal oblique. And then the external oblique. So there are twisting muscles. You know, when you get asked to do those bike abs, like Mm -hmm. the twisting movements, the obliques are really important for rotation and control of, of those movements. So our contemporary dance, our ballet dance, but they're not part of our deep core. Yeah. So if you're holding your breath when you're trying to activate your core, you're probably over-engaging through a lot of those. Um, So TA is what we look for the most, um, but then the diaphragm is really um, important in the core as well. So that's why breathing is so important. If you're not breathing while you're doing core exercises, then you've got a lot of pressure and um, intra-abdominal pressure and it can press down on the pelvic floor. So for our adult ballerinas, that's a pretty important area to keep strong. Mm -hmm. Um, So pelvic floor is also part of it. I don't often get that far with the kids though. That's a bit of a foreign topic for them, but for the adult ballerinas, um, the pelvic floor is connected to the deep core um, and is very important with that stabilization through the pelvis and the core. And it is actually coordinated with it. So if it's working correctly, if you ask someone to turn on their pelvic floor, an adult usually, Mm -hmm. um, TA turns on automatically or starts to turn on automatically. So they're connected, which is a great thing to know. So if the diaphragm's not moving, the pelvic floor can't do its job properly because the pressure is too high in the in the abdomen. So um the amount of times I'm like, breathe everybody, breathe. Spray paint on the roof is what I always say I need to do. (laughs) Good idea. Um (laughs) but um yeah so there are three things to remember when you're doing any core exercises is um one that you're not gripping on everything so mm-hmm. you should be able to just gently turn on either with adults pelvic floor um kids it's like they're drawing their belly button in a little bit mm-hmm. um but they aren't flattening their spine to the floor you'll see a lot of them do that where they try and press their back down into the floor um, and then breathing really mm-hmm. important so um with your basic core stability exercises firstly one of the best ones is just learning how to turn it on and off yeah um that muscle memory it's, it's your brain so hard for some students it is really hard, so hard. really hard um especially if been, we've been trained to grip and brace and hold everything for dear life yeah. um but being if able, it doesn't feel like hard work we're not working hard yes yeah <laughs> if i can't feel them if i can't feel pain it must not be right and you know it's not a muscle that burns those little deep muscles um we have what we call our sprinters and our marathon runners when we have our muscles and this is how i explain it to the kids um the sprinters they have to be able to turn on once um, and then for a 100-meter sprint, and then they stop, right? So Usain Bolt, he's done at the end of his 100 meters, yeah. and, and that's it for him for the time being, and he needs to go to have a rest before he does another 100-meter sprint. But our marathon runners, they, sit, they don't run as fast as him, but they sit at that lower level of speed with the runners, and using my analogies again, and they sit at that speed, but they sit there for a long period of time. 
And so that's why we often, when we're using those deep muscles, we're not feeling a burn. We're not feeling pain because they're not made. They've got little slow twitch fibers in them. That's what we call them because they're made to sit there and just just sit and fire at a really nice level for a long period of time. They're not made to burn um, because that's that's what you get from the big sprinting muscles. So the Mm. ones that fire really quickly. So if you're trying to do a core exercise and everything's burning, often you've started to fire up your big sprinting muscles and you've stopped using your little marathon runners which are deep down so um sometimes i say to them if you're achieving the exercise but you don't feel much at all you're probably doing it pretty close to right because you're able to being able to turn off all of those big muscles um so being able to turn the core on and off and understand that is an amazing exercise on its own for core strength because it's that muscle memory the brain needs to know to turn that area on and fire it um but then all of your pilates core exercises are amazing i was going to say this is one of my final questions what <laughs> I mean, if you had unlimited resources yes. and all the time in the world, you know, and we're building out. So, I mean, a big theme, I think, of our little chat, which I wasn't expecting, was just building our dance team. And so, would a our dancers team, would our team consist of a Pilates lesson at least once a week or I think it's really helpful I think it would be amazing if all my kids had the time to do at least one Pilates class a week I think because it's a different type of exercise yeah and it makes them think in a different way it's not I'm not doing a plie I'm not doing a triple pirouette but everything you're working on at the same time is helping you to get better and I'm not having to think about what my face is doing and (laughs) and the artistry exactly so Pilates is an amazing way to build up core strength and um to understand core stability and core strength um in the right environment um because like i said before little dancers and adult dancers they try hard dancers are hard workers they are really determined they are really focused and they are determined to execute everything perfectly and often that means they're overdoing it yeah give a dancer a job and she'll get it done she'll get it done it's the exact same as give a busy person a job and they'll get it done. yeah exactly and so i think it's definitely important to um bring in some of those cross trainings and make the kids work those muscles in environments that they're not used to because then it really flows across to their um dancing and their ability in class so um yeah pilates is a fantastic way to do that um we do a lot of that at the studio and i teach a lot of the pilates exercises in my classes um just to try and bring the kids into a different Mm. um environment and make them think about their body differently um but it all comes back and helps them with their dancing so if they can be brought into the studio as one class a week whether you have a guest teacher or if you're a dance teacher with some time up your sleeve which isn't very often but you wanted to go do some pilates training um it's an amazing way um to really develop the dancers and keep them strong um even just educating yourself on pilates exercises and using them in a warm-up is a really great way to get the right muscles firing yeah. as well love so, pilates exercises yeah i used to go every friday and i've been really slack the last year i've been so flat out that i haven't been to pilates for probably a year <laughs> but I, I feel very inspired after today's yeah, chat. I teach so much of it. I don't get to do much of it myself. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Yep, it's like people saying to me, oh, do you often take class? I'm like, no, I'm the one taking class. I would <laughs> yeah. love to be. I, I mean, gosh, it, my dream would be to wake up every day and do a ballet class instead of going to the gym. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd <laughs> But love that, it. that's just not available, unfortunately. Yeah, the kids, the kids get frustrated with me because they go, why do you make it look so easy? I'm like, well, I only have to do three. You have to do 20. Exactly. <laughs> so because I do it so often, I can demonstrate yeah. three, but, you know, yeah, that's not going to help me long term no. you guys need to do more than that so um yeah i think and the strength side of it and what pilates brings in um really helps with flexibility if we bring back around that discussion because strength equals flexibility you know you may be able to get your leg up 
behind your head but if you can't lift it there well it's very useless to you so um being able to strengthen the children more than stretch them I think is a big priority and that's what I really try to get through to the kids is no we're not just going to sit here in the splits today we're actually going to get some work done and and really try and strengthen what we have yeah not force what we don't have I think that's a really good place to finish yeah no Sarah you um I've loved this chat and I think there's so many little gems and nuggets of wisdom <laughs> for the dance you know dancers parents of dancers adult ballerines everyone in this episode it's great it's, thank you yeah it's a big topic but yeah. and I probably talk for days on it I'm talking oh, no, I love it like you're you're obviously incredibly passionate about it and that's why I'll be sending my students <laughs> to you for their pre-point assessments but um no thank you so much my final question though yes. I ask everybody what's your tip for leading a balanced life a balanced life that's a big category. Um, I guess if we flew on from my um, main kind of points I made today as well is just listening to your body. Yeah. I think our bodies, our human bodies are amazing and we don't realise how incredible our brain is and our anatomy. And I think when it comes to – and that and it applies to all areas of life. You know, if your brain's telling you it's not happy, find something that's going to make you happy. But if your body's telling you it doesn't like what it's doing – see if you can make it feel happier um even if your gut's telling you it's not liking the food that you're eating yeah see if you can change that you know I think um so true if I was to put it into one word and it's easier said than done and, I, and I'll admit that I'm not the best at doing it but I'm working on it um and pra- trying to practice what I preach I know <laughs> listening to your body is probably my biggest number one thing because I think it's an amazing amazing tool that we have and we have it for life so we need to treat it well How great is Sarah? Make sure you connect with her on Instagram and let her know what you thought of the podcast or take a screenshot and tag at Balance Ballerinas so I can see and share. Have a beautiful week and I can't wait to share another amazing guest with you all in a fortnight. So make sure you hit subscribe on your Apple podcast app so you don't miss an episode. (laughs) 